Welcome to the Future Church Podcast, powered by Exponential, a podcast about innovative and emerging ideas in the North American church. With the need for the gospel in our generation, we must not look for a silver bullet approach. We believe there are many expressions to the local church, and we are seeking to discover and highlight new and effective ways that churches can impact our world with the gospel. For more information about Exponential's resources and upcoming events, visit exponential.org. Hello, my name is Dave Ferguson, and I'm the president of the Exponential Conference, and we want to welcome you to the Future Church Podcast. And I am really thrilled to have with us Steve Pike. Uh, Steve and I, um, our paths have intersected, oh my goodness, a number of times. I think we didn't even talk about this recently, but I mean, I think we both, you were actually a youth pastor in Neighborville once upon a time, where I that- planted a church. We intersect to church multiplication. I've been a big fan of what you're doing. Uh, we're going to talk about the Urban Island Project that you've been doing for the last seven, eight years. Uh, we even have some mutual friends over in Europe we we're talking about. So lots, and of course, a common common love for church planning. So anyway, uh, welcome, Steve. It is great to have you here. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, it's awesome to be here, and, and it has been a fun journey. I think I was actually at the very first national exponential conference when you guys kind of transitioned from, I think it was sort of the Christian church conference. And you said, Hey, let's make it something everybody can come to. And I was at that one. So I don't even know if you knew that, but uh, but I was there. One of the, one of the people. Yeah, it was, it was so cool. So yeah, we've been, uh, we've been traveling sort of parallel paths for a little while here. (laughs) Now, I think, I think when we, I mean, I think at least when I first really felt like I got to know you, you were, um, and founded and were leading the church multiplication network for the assemblies of God and really doing some really cool stuff. Um, and it was at that point, I think it'd be fun for people to hear a little bit of your story. You made a decision instead of kind of like, eh, we'll kind of coach this thing into retirement. And it wasn't like it was just on cruise control because you were, you were helping start hundreds of churches. Um, yeah. you, you made a pretty dramatic decision. And before we kind of talk about specifically what you're doing and what you're doing in the future, I'd love for people to hear, kind of the decision that you made um, about that. Give me yeah. a of that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my role at the National Office for the Assemblies of God was basically figuring out how do we support multiplication from the uh, platform of a national office. You know, we had about 13,000 churches. Actually, we had less than 13,000 at that point uh, in the U.S. that were affiliated with the Assemblies of God. And, um, yeah, so I... I set in motion what is now a church multiplication network. And and when I say that, I I was part of, it was such a team effort. I just happened to be the team leader, but there were so many people that, that were part of that effort. And, but I just, you know, I was anyway. So from that vantage point, uh, we were starting three, 400 churches a year in every imaginable place. Uh, during the time I was leading Church Multiplication Network, we started about 2,500 churches over the um, six and a half years that I was leading Church Multiplication Network. And so, uh, you know, with that with that level, that, that volume of church starting, um, you start to see trends, whether, you know, I mean, there's, you, you do research and there's facts and figures and all that, but, um, but I started to see trends and I, and, and something began to really trouble me. And that was the conventional approach, which I believe in. I'm not against starting churches the way that it became sort of the dominant 
methodology back in, back in the day, which was, you know, kind of the big launch model, go in, go, go strong. That, that, that was helped. That was how we started most of the churches. But what I noticed was that, um, that didn't work as well, or maybe not at all in the harder places and especially urban places. And it was troubling to me at the same time that urban populations were starting to grow, like people were moving back into city centers. And so the actual number of people living in downtown and urban neighborhoods and city neighborhoods was actually on the increase. Um, at the same time, it seemed like the church was was just not coming back the same way. And part of it was because of our, our approach. So I, I didn't know what the answer was. But, but I, I, at first I thought, well, I'm the leader of, you know, Church Multiplication Network. We'll figure this out. But, you know, my job entailed helping everybody, including people that were doing the conventional thing. And, and that was the bulk of what we did. And so I realized, man, if I'm going to really figure this out, I've got to just leave here and, and dive into this head over heels. And so we, we prayed about, you know, and that, uh, that was a, that was a scary thing. Cause I was, um, you know, at that point I was 57 years old. That's usually a good time to start, you know, putting the landing gear down as far as uh, thinking about retirement, and all that kind of stuff in a few years. And, uh, but we really, really felt like God's calling. So it was very similar, I think, to some of the experiences that people have when they feel called to start a church, you know, the sort of like, okay, we have to do this, even though it seems uh, impossible and maybe kind of crazy. It was a God call that we had to go after. And so, yeah, we we resigned our position. Uh, we left on great terms. They were extremely kind and supported us uh, in, in during the first part of the transition. But for all practical purposes, we, we sort of, uh, you know, we didn't really know how we were going to be supported. We didn't even know what we we're going to do. But long story short, um, that's that was the transition. We ended up moving to downtown Denver. We live in a classic urban neighborhood now uh, in a high-rise condo building surrounded by it's, this is probably the most, the penultimate, uh, I don't know if penultimate is the right word, but it's the neighborhood we live in is just classic urban. It's got all of the stuff that people read about and hear about. We've got, you know, um, uh, homeless challenges. We've got gentrification challenges. We've got, um, you know, uh, 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 um, challenges around matters of race and, and uh, identity and all that kind of stuff is, is just very real and visceral here. And so it's allowed me to have sort of a front row seat to some of the very challenges that make it challenging for conventional church approaches to happen in cities. And so anyway, so that's, that's sort of a really short version of a long story. No, so I mean, yeah, I mean, courageously, you you kind of left the security <coughs> of the larger organization, yeah. not against them, yeah. but just really a new adventure. No, a new adventure yeah. that God had for you. I, I am curious because, and you were very intentional. I think several times you said we, we, we. So it sounds like um, you and your wife probably had lots of conversations. <laughs> I I would love for you just for a little bit too. Tell us about that, because I mean, it, I'm sure for a lot of people listening who are either planting churches or helping plant churches, there's always a spouse, not always, often yeah. a spouse. And, um, <clears throat> and so, the, you know, we take them on this journey with us. So how, how was yeah. it for her? Um, was one of you ahead of the other? How did that, I mean, how did that go? <laughs> Yeah, you are so right. Yeah, it, that we is definitely me and she. And uh yeah, it was, 
um, you know, God's blessed me. We've done, this wasn't the first time we, we did. In fact, I was in Naperville and I was on staff at Calvary Church, which, you know, Calvary Church is kind of a sister church there in Naperville that uh, is is a significant church and sort of a same similar position. I was um, I was the youth pastor and stuff. So and, and God called us. We felt God calling us to go to Utah uh, and start a church from scratch. You know, and, and again, the, the contrast, the jump was was so we had done something like this before, uh, but it is different when you're 33 making a move like that and 57 making a move like that. So um, but over the years, we'd learned to kind of how to, you know, read each other, listen to each other. Um, and so, yeah, I think, um, you know, I just started sharing with her that I was having this angst and, and, and you know, she said, well, what what are you thinking about you know what are you dreaming about <laughs> and and that's a that's a fair question you know yeah. it's like she she was saying you know we're about to uproot ourselves and i've got to at least have some kind of picture of what this is going to be you know and so i described it as best i could at that point and she said well here's some people that i want you to go talk to she knew some of my friends some people that were strategic thinkers that were, you know, big picture thinkers. And she said, I, I want you to go talk with them and, and get their feedback and get their input, you know? So, so it was a, a probably a three or four month long process where, you know, I would meet with somebody and, and share this thing. And, and it, the, the great thing about it was every time I met with somebody, it helped clarify the vision you know, I, I had to, I had to think through how do I tell this person about it? And it was different people with, from different perspectives. And some of them try to talk me out of it mm-hmm. uh, until, you know, as, as I, as I described it, they were like, well, that, that does kind of make sense. I still don't fully, but anyway, the point is I, so it was this combination of us just sharing. I just having this conversation over about three or four months. And then we, we finally got to a point where we felt like, okay, we're kind of circling around this decision, but we're, we need to land the plane. We need to say either we go do this or not. And so we decided to kind of give ourselves uh, a little bit of a deadline just to say, Lord, we need to hear from you so we can, we, you know, we, we can stop circling around the airport and either decide we're going to stay Cause that was not a bad thing. That was a good thing. You know, everything was going great. I didn't need to leave. Nobody was asking me to leave or are we going to go do this? And so we, we gave, we spent a week together in prayer and fasting, you know, and uh, that just looks like we, we, you know, uh, didn't eat anything for a week and we prayed together on a regular basis and just asked the Lord to make clear what he wants us to do. And, and by the end of the week, we looked each other in the eye and we said, well, what are we feeling? What are we thinking? And, you know, she was, um, I, I felt very compelled to do it, but I also was determined that she had to feel compelled or else we weren't going to do it. So for me, that was the final thing. I, I thought I knew what we were supposed to do, but if she said, you know, I just don't feel like it's the right thing, we would have stayed and that would have been the right thing to do. Um, so it, it is, yeah, that's a great question. And you're right. It is very common. I, and I, what, one of the biggest problems I often encounter is leaders who don't listen to the spouse that God has given them to the other, the other set of ears that can hear the spirit. And yeah, so we jumped into this and, uh, you know, both of us, I think we had our eyes as wide open as we can, but there were still a lot, it, it felt like a black hole, you know, we just didn't know what was in there yet. And so that was scary. 
I'll tell you what, though. I mean, already we haven't even started talking about urban island projects, but that means, well, such a great lesson there for, for anybody who's starting a new endeavor with God, particularly church planners. Um, and what I'm hearing you say, here's the wise counsel. Yeah, you might have heard from God, but you need to get confirmation. Probably if you're married, first yeah. of all, from your spouse. And it sounds like she's yeah. wired enough different from you that the wise counsel she gave you was, you know, let's 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 get some other people who will give us some counsel yeah. in this. Yes, yes. So it's kind of like you get the vision, you share. The first person you cast the vision with is your spouse. She said, gives you feedback. Hey, let's broaden our circle here to get some wise counsel on this. You get some great input, helps clarify the vision. Then it's kind of the last thing is kind of like, no, prayer and fasting. Let's make sure we really hear from God. And then you go. And I'll say, I, yeah. mean, <clears throat> I don't know what your next article is, but um, there's at least four, three, four, <laughs> five points in there on how to know if God's calling you to do something. Um, yeah. You, you can figure that one yeah. out. That was that 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 story was that was gold. That's awesome. Okay, I'll tell you what. Let's jump yeah. ahead though. So, Urban Island Projects, yeah. um, this this risk you took with God. It, it it now we know in retrospect you didn't know then, but it really is. I mean, seeing a lot of fruit. But um, talk yeah. about talk about that particularly kind of the vision you had for that and um, some of the things you talked a little about conventional church planning and you're you're kind of doing and really coaching mostly what we might call them unconventional church planning, but talk right. about the vision and then kind of this unconventional church planning you're coaching leaders in. Yeah. Okay, man, I, I want to be as concise as possible. There's a lot in there. Those are two really big questions. Um, so yeah, I'll, so yeah, I'll break it into two things. So, um, you know, the, the original idea I had for Urban Islands Project, I, I suspected, you know, again, from my position at national office for AG, you know, typically if we started a church in a city, it was one, you know, it was one couple that was going to some do something in the city. And they would, you know, one of the challenges was what they needed to do was kind of so different. They intuitively knew it, but they didn't know what to do. So they they would go to even stuff like Exponential and, and you know, whatever, eight, 10 years ago. The, there was more of an emphasis on the conventional thing. That was sort of the main, the yeah. main event or the main focus kind of strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And that was what they were hearing, but they were intuitively were going, well, man, alive just to rent a place to accommodate a big crowd is extraordinarily expensive. So they, they thought that, you know, there's gotta be a different way. And, and, and so anyway, I, I thought, well, wait a minute, what if we got a bunch of people from, you know, you got maybe a Baptist and a Christian church and an AG and a, Lutheran, get all these different people who I, I, and it was true. There were always every group. It wasn't like the cities were completely being ignored. Every group was trying to send people there, but um, they were all sort of one-offs and they, they didn't, they weren't communicating to each other. And so I thought, what if we get a group of people in a circle that are in the same city at the same time and basically create a real-time learning community made up of peers who are they, none of none of us really know what to do, including me, but we'll figure it out together. Yeah. And so that was, and my thought was the big dream for Urban Islands Project was I need a prototype city where we can try, you know, just try this idea out and make it work in one city and then take it to other cities. And eventually the idea was that we would become kind of a, a partner with every sending organization to help them. Uh, you know, help their planters find other planters in the same city who are at the same thing and and get them in a cohort, get them in a group of people that were in real time learning from each other, helping them translate. There's so many good things about the big launch that can that do translate to 
uh, city, but there's a lot of things that have to be tweaked or even abandoned that just, you, you just can't be guided by those things. And so, you know, helping them figure what those are. So instead of just doing it by themselves, we could accelerate the learning curve. That was the idea. But the first thing I had to do <laughs> was find a group of people going to the same city at the same time. So I, I, I looked at my options because really we could go anywhere. Uh, but I was in Springfield, Missouri at the time, which is, it's a wonderful small town kind of, you know, it, it's just not a city in, in nobody's book. I mean, they call it a city, but it's not like Chicago or Denver or New York city or LA and stuff think, like that. I you think know? you're trying to be kind to Springfield, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a wonderful place, but sure it is. you know, what might be called urban there is probably about two, a two block square. And, you know, that's about it. So I knew that I probably couldn't stay in spring. I, I, no, I knew I couldn't stay in Springfield. But so we kind of looked around and, and we had actually previously lived in Colorado before we went to Springfield. So I had a lot more relational connectivity here. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to, you know, risk my life, I might as well do it with some friends, you know? So, so we chose to, we chose Denver as the place to be the prototype city. And Denver's a little bit easier for people to say, yeah, I think I'd like to go try. It's a great place to live. It's a beautiful city and close to the mountains. And so, uh, so that seemed to lower the bar a little bit. I didn't want to make it the most, I didn't want to choose the hardest place. Uh, and so anyway, long story short, we were able to find seven, uh, different people from, from, I think it was five different sending organizations that were all feeling called to Denver at the same time, which in itself, as you know, from your experience, that's a miracle. Just finding those people, even though it seems, well, anyway, so we found them, we, we assembled this cohort and we were off to the races. And, um, and so we, about a year into it, after we got going with the cohort, we said, okay, let's start to see if we can do this in another city that I don't live in. How do we do that? So we figured out, we went to Minneapolis and helped uh, assemble a group of six there, went to New York city, assembled a group of four, went to Nashville, assembled a group of three um, uh, planters, which we felt like was the minimum. Like we had to have at least three, if we're going to do this thing. Um, and, and, Long story short, that led us to a point where we started getting all these. So our model was same city, same time. And the problem was I started getting calls from people. Hey, we're going to Tucson, Arizona or something like that. And, you know, it, it, that we just knew that was going to be impossible to assemble a, a large number of people. And so we just said, no, we can't help because that's not what we do. And the Lord kind of spoke to me and said, hey, wait, you know, pivot, pivot. It's time to pivot. And so we realized, wait, what if we get a group of people together who aren't going to the same city, but they're, they're going to city places and create a virtual cohort. A, they, they can get it together on a regular basis, talk to each other. So we pivoted to virtual cohorts and uh, long actually, before COVID. Oh, so that, that was before COVID even. Right, right. Yeah. Because it just made sense sure. for us to serve. We realized we could serve more people more quickly because man, it's a bear, as you know, I mean, you guys have been at the forefront of building uh, interdenominational connectivity in a city like Chicago. Right. And that is not for the faint of heart. You know, there's just, uh, there, there's all kinds of complexity to that, that uh, I, I ran into. And I just realized, man, trying to do that in multiple cities. I, I, I mean, I went to Seattle, I remember, and I had a friend that helped me. We pulled together they said it was the largest group of interdenominational people that had ever met in, in Seattle, like f about the city. Oh, wow. And um, 
it was so if there was ever a place where that was going to work it was there and it and it just it just misfired for a bunch of reasons so uh i just i thought you know what's what's most important is let's keep learning how to how to be effective in the cities um and help people who are called to go there right now let's figure out the best way to deliver that as as seamlessly as possible and so we took away the the requirement that has to be the same city and just said hey if you're going to a city we want to help you be successful and put you with some people who are also trying to do that so that's that's what urban islands um has that that's what it became is is established so the cohorts became virtual stuff like that now just to quickly give you the latest update we have created an online community called next wave which is which is built around my book oh, next nice. wave which is this it's the story of what we learned in starting all these churches and cities we, we've helped over 50 churches start in 17 different cities now and um, all that learning has been basically dumped into this book and 12 shifts that people have to make to be able to lead well in uh, you know un places where conventional church, is not as effective. And so we created this online community. It's next wave community. You actually, you can go to nextwave.community if you're interested in, in seeing what that's about. It's a subscription-based community. So there's a cost to be part of it, but that actually is very intentional. People kind of get what they pay for. And um, so we're, we're asking people to make an investment in the community. And so anyway, but that, that allows us to serve. Now we, we have a, almost 150 uh, leaders that we're serving through that online community. And it's growing every day. I mean, we just added 10, 10 new leaders in the last week. So it's really starting to catch on and it allows us to scale up our support for people serving in unconventional places, uh, much greater than we've ever been able to do. But if you want, I can answer the unconventional versus conventional thing if you want, but Go ahead, ask me. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and do that. But you've also piqued my curiosity. And then I'll, so I'll, while you're thinking about that, with the 12 shifts, I would love to hear, you know, if you picked one of them. Okay, but go ahead and tell us <laughs> about the difference between unconventional and uh, the, uh, more unconventional models you're using now. And then also then uh, let's, let's, I'm going to hear one of those shifts that you need to make as a leader. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, so here's the, I think, uh, yeah, the, the big contrast is when you think about the conventional uh, ap approach to, to starting the church, it was it was based on some assumptions that are not generally present in an urban community or even a rural community. I mean, what we're discovering, I just start, I've started calling it the hard places, the places where the conventional doesn't work. And and the, the for the conventional to be effective, it requires a leader who's able to lead that kind of a um, an approach, which which it, it's generally more complex. It requires a leader who's wired a certain way. So it that that's one challenge about conventional that when it gets translated to cities or, or hard places, difficult. Secondly, the big one is the economic challenge. Um, conventional church is based on the idea that uh, you're going to be able to quickly assemble a large, a kind of a critical mass of people who know how to be generous, how to give, how to tithe, whatever you want to call it, um, so that the church can be self-sustaining very relatively quickly, you know, two to three years at the most. So you basically raise a bunch of money to get yourself build a bridge from where you're at to where you want to be. And, and the idea is you got to assemble this group of people as quickly as possible. Well, that's a real problem in the city uh, because, you know, the costs are higher. 
And there's just generally speaking in many city communities, less people that are already sort of ready to step up and give, you know? So it's really, that's, that was probably the biggest thing that people are running into. And I think the other challenge was the conventional does kind of assume a little bit. I know everybody always says we're planting this church to raise lost people, but if you look at what they are actually doing, it's more it's more designed to attract people who are looking for a great church, you know? And, and so the effort, and, and so again, the problem is you go to a city with that, most city neighborhoods don't have this critical mass of people who have left the church or are unhappy with the current church they're in, or, you know, are, are they're believers, but they're sort of, you know, taking a break from church or whatever. They're, they're fairly, you, you just say, Hey, look at, we got this great, you know, worship environment, da, 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 da. Those kind of people that are attracted to that in the city, there's just way less of them. There's not a critical mass that's easy to find. And so, um, so, so the unconventional forms are, are based on, and again, I know Exponential is really doing some great work at this whole idea of really Jesus didn't call us to make, to start churches. He called us to make disciples you know? and, and we really need to start with making disciples and then let the church emerge out of that. And so, um, so that's what we started realizing was, wait, we need to go into cities and start making disciples uh, from the get-go before we start having any kind of gatherings or anything like that, let's figure out how do people in this community become followers of Jesus and, and what does it take to move them toward Christ and then grow them in Christ. And so we really, um, that, that's a big piece of, and again, it's that I realize that's actually good for conventional too. And I, and I encourage conventional people to do that, but, the, the problem is the, the economic model, you, it, it just doesn't work well if you go in with the disciple making first and you're, you're helping people follow Christ. So go, let, let me talk about the, the 12 shifts. This is one of the big shifts that I realized. Um, and, and I'll just camp out on, on the money piece because that's a big one. I Actually, the first question I ask people now that tell me, hey, I want to plant a church in the city is I ask them to give me a five-year model or business model or ministry model, whatever you want to call it, a five-year ministry model that shows how they're going to be sustainable there in that neighborhood or at least financially sustainable. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff, stuff, obviously that matters, but if they can't figure out how to be financially sustainable, they're just not going to make it, you know? And if their answer is, we're just going to get a bunch of people together to tithe, that's, that's not a good answer because that's, there's probably some cases there, there's always the exception to every rule, but um, you know, that's, you can't make a strategy out of an exception. So, what we started realizing was uh, a huge limiting factor to the church being able to be sustainable anywhere was this idea that the only way a church, a legitimate church can be sustained is through tithes and offerings alone. And, that, and that's been sort of the golden uh, you know, rule or something of church finance is that the people who you, who are part of the congregation have to, that, that that's called a, self-sustaining church that's you know it's the three self-church self-sustaining self-governing self-propagating 
that's sort of the the golden principle is like that's how you do a church but the idea of self-sustaining got narrowed down to it's got to be tithes and offerings that's the right way for a church to be done what we started realizing wait a minute that is actually limiting the potential the financial potential of a church and it'll never work in an urban community and so we suggest that there are five categories of potential revenue that need to be cultivated in order for a church to be sustainable and those need to be cultivated upfront early on, not afterthought. A lot of these are thrown in after people get desperate. We said people are going to be way better off if they go into a community with these five categories in mind and figure out how to cultivate them and harvest revenue out of each of them. So then you end up with a diversified portfolio of revenue instead of just one revenue source tithing. And so you probably want to know what those five are, right? Yeah, you notice I already picked up my pencil. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, anybody else, we're taking an intentional pause here. So grab your piece of paper and pen, right? This, this is going to be important. Okay. Yeah, those five revenues. Okay. Let's hear it. So, so number one is still tithes and offerings. I mean, because that's, that's actually, here's the thing. That's actually a disciple thing. It's way more about heart formation and, okay. and spiritual formation that's why we give. It's not because it's not to pay bills. It's not to pay rent. It's because that protects our heart from all the stuff that uh, is unhealthy for us when we get when we make our attachment based on material things. So that's the whole that's the whole idea of the tithe to begin with. It wasn't about paying bills necessarily, but somehow we've we've gotten the idea that's what it's for. So that's number one. So number two is donor based funding. Okay, donor again. This is not any big news, but being intentional about realizing there may be people, especially when you go to a hard place, uh, there may be people who go, man, we really see the need for a church in, you know, whatever neighborhood in, in Chicago or something where it's underserved, the case can be made, man, there just needs to be more presence of the church here. There may be some people who will never <laughs> directly be recipients of ministry from that church because they don't live geographically near it, but they they believe in the planter or they believe in the cause. They believe in the need for that. So that's donor-based. And so um, that's number two. Number three is... So those, are, those, the, are, those, are, those are folks probably that have some means that don't live in, yeah. your, don't live in your community. But exactly. they, love, they love that you're doing it and they would love to support it. Exactly. Yes. And so definitely tap into that, you know, don't overlook that because they're out there. That's possible. And that is a, that's a, is a different uh, skill set as far as, you know, I think every leader needs to be really good at discipling their, the people that they lead into good personal stewardship. That's the tithing piece. I think then every person starting a church needs to exercise good, uh, um, you know, uh, skillful um, practices of harvesting donor-based revenue from people like you described, people of means, or even people, you know, it does. They don't have to be people of means. I mean, ten bucks a month is ten bucks a month. You know, if if somebody wants to give you ten bucks a month, you know, you get a hundred of those. That adds up. So, um, so it's uh, you know, again, donor-based. There's all kinds of great training out there and stuff people can go through to learn how to be skillful at raising donor-based money. The third category, again, this is not new, but I think there's a new twist being put on it. And it's traditionally been bivocational, but we, you know, the new word is kind of co-vocational. Um, and, uh, 
And, and the idea, I like co-vocational because um, I was always concerned about bivocational because it sort of implied you're going to split yourself in half. You know, the word bi is actually one, you know, it's, it's two halves. And, you know, the idea that somebody could give like 40 hours a week to a job and 40 hours a week to a church, I mean, you got to burn it out later pretty fast. Um, but co-vocational is uh, doing something that is cooperative or complementary to the effort of starting a faith community that generates some revenue to increase the, the financial security and sustainability of your family and your church. And by the way, one of the emphasis we bring is, you know, starting a church is kind of like uh, when it comes to funding, it's kind of like um, when you're on an airplane and they say, if the mass falls and you've got a kid with you, you put the mask on yourself first, and then you put it on the kid. And so we always say, you know, the first job is to make sure you're sustainable in this neighborhood before you worry about rent and all that other stuff. You need to make sure you figure out how to keep you and your family here in a way where you're not just on the edge of financial ruin every month. That that creates so much stress and so much pressure. And so let's get the Let's get the catalyst into that neighborhood. And so part of that is co-vocational. So, you know, cities provide lots of opportunities that a lot of other places don't have for co-vocational activity, like driving Lyft, Uber. Um, you know, we've got, I think they have in Chicago. I, I haven't been there recently to see this, but we have these electric scooters that people ride all over downtown Denver. And those have to be charged up at night. And the way they do that is individuals bring them into their homes and plug them in and charge them up and then stick them back out the same day. And we had one planter who jumped on that. He had a, he had a three teenagers in a van It's three teenage kids and he had a van. So he went around and picked up a bunch of scooters every night with his kids and plugged them in overnight, put them out in the morning. And it took, it took about an hour in the morning, hour at night. And they were bringing in like, or they are bringing in like 2000 bucks a month of oh, really? extra revenue. Just, yeah. So, you know, it's two hours a day at times of the day when there's not much, you know, they do it early in the morning, late at night. So it's not really prime ministry time and it leaves the rest of the day available for them to do so. So that's an example. That's a great example of co-vocational kind of activity. That's and so a lot of people, what's that? What was number, what's number four and five? Number four and five. Yeah. Okay. Number four is uh, nonprofit partnerships, nonprofit partnerships. These last two are what I call the blue ocean strategy, because this is where you're going to find money. Those th first three, everybody's kind of heard of those before, but increasingly people are realizing, wait a minute, there's another. So nonprofit has to do with partnerships with existing nonprofits that are already there. So maybe you can share a building, maybe you can share, you know, there's, there's just all kinds of possibilities in that. But then it also could be deliberately starting a nonprofit that is sort of uh, a complementary to the church. So for example, I had a friend that started a after school program, was able to get a ton of funding for the after school program, which provided a space for the church to meet in and also provided great connectivity into the underserved community that he was working in. And so the, the um, after school program started first, got the funding from people who would never give to support a church, but sure. they saw the need and they believed in the need for after school program. And, uh, and then that allowed them to hire staff and all kinds of the income from the after, from the after school program allowed them to acquire space, staff, everything. And then 
they started, uh, you know, uh, making disciples and, and uh, the church. So that's just, I mean, there's a million, here's the thing, just praying about like, what are the opportunities here and seeing that as a potential revenue stream. The final one is for profit. That's for profit. Okay. Yeah. And for profit. So here's my favorite for profit, for profit story, although it's a little bit hard to replicate, but it, it gets the point across in a hurry. And that is, I got a, a call from a guy's name. My name is, is, is Jose Perez. I, I feel like God's called me to start a church in downtown Minneapolis, but I can't figure out the ROI. And most church planners don't use that language, the ROI. So I, I thought this guy has, he's got business in his background. So I said, Jose, tell me your story. Because I bet the answer to your questions in the story. And so, um, and by the way, ROI means return on investment. It's a business term. And, and he's, so he was a business guy. He said, yeah, he said, I grew up in Venezuela. I became a professional dancer. Uh-huh. Uh, I started a dance studio. And I ended up owning a chain of dance studios across the nation of Venezuela. <laughs> and uh, so I said, Jose, do people in Minneapolis need to know how to dance? And he said, see. And I said, do you know how to start a dance studio? And he goes, see. And then he went, oh, because what is a dance studio but a big room that is empty and people dance around. But on Sunday or whenever you want, you can set up some chairs and have church or, you know, have a banquet or whatever you want to do. It's, it's a perfect complimentary. And if you're Pentecostal, it could be a dance studio on Sunday. <laughs> come on. Come on. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. It's so guess what? Uh, six months after that conversation, he opened One Reason Dance Studio. And six months after that, he opened One Reason Church. And yeah, you're right. It's the funnest. He is Pentecostal and it's the funnest <laughs> dance, dancingest church you're ever going to go to, you know? And the cool thing is the uh, dance studio kind of pays for the rent uh, of the facility. And then the tithes and offerings of the growing congregation help cover the, the other expenses. So, but a boom, but a bang, sustainability. Now, obviously, I don't know about you, Dave, but I'm probably not going to start a dance church because there would be all kinds of litigation and lawsuits because I <laughs> false advertise. I can't dance, you know, but, but the principle, you know, there's coffee shop churches, there's uh, all kinds of stuff. Like, you know, there's just a, when you start opening up that channel and you do a asset analysis of the community, there may be some, and get some business minds. I always say to people, if you don't have business in your background, don't try to start a church and a business at the same time by yourself, bring in people with business experience that can look at the situation and go, wait, there's a need for, you know, a co-working space here, or there's a need for a coffee shop. You know, it's, there's, there's opportunity here, or there's a need for a laundry or something, a coin laundry, but it's in a big place where you could actually use, you know, it's whatever there's, once you start praying about this, and that's what I've seen. Once people go, wait, I need to look for revenue out of these five deals. God starts just blasting them with creative ideas. And um, so, so that's super, super helpful. Um, yeah. Again, if I was your writing coach, I mean, again, obviously there's an, I mean, that's probably in your book, but those, that, those five, that's, that's, that's great stuff. And you know what, too? I mean, most people they talk about, like we're in a, we're in a gig economy and most people, a lot of people, I mean, it's not unusual. You got a side hustle. There's something I'm doing on the side. And that's and absolutely in some ways that the both the co-vocational, the for-profit, non-for-profit is exactly that kind of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just you've got to be again, what what happened for Jose was he had 
the long story for short for him is he came to faith through the uh, work of a missionary, American missionary that was down there in Venezuela and ended up marrying her. And they came back and he got into ministry with her and he was serving on a church staff in Duluth, Minnesota. And his training in ministry made him kind of think that his business stuff was in his past and it wasn't appropriate for that to be part of his consideration in terms of starting church. And once all I did was just unlock that option for him and he realized, wait, I can activate that part of my life again. And it, you know what, that honestly, most, a lot of the people that go to that church, yeah, the first contact they had with Jose was through the dance studio. So it's, it, it has most of these, if you do a coffee shop, you do all this stuff, it puts you in contact with the very people that you want to make disciples of, you know? And so there is more than just an economic benefit. There's, um, you know, just huge benefit all over the thing, all over the place. Again, for, especially if you're, you're leading with let's rate, let's start making disciples here and let the church emerge out of that, you know? Uh, and that's really the simple strategy for an, a hard place is go, go make disciples first, but you got to figure out how to keep yourself there. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what this economic thing is all about. So this is super helpful, Steve. I mean, just to kind of recap, I mean, okay. So we've talked about really, I mean, it's a couple different things. I didn't realize we we're going to go there. I mean, how to discern, how to discern if God's calling you. And I mean, it's some real, yeah. real practical things, you know, for you. And if you're married, you and your spouse, how do you do that? Okay. What's the difference between kind of a conventional and an unconventional church plan, particularly if some of us or either feeling called to plant churches in hard places, or if we're wanting to send yeah. people to plant churches in hard places, here's some things that just the beginning of some yep. things to think about. And then, and the, and the, and the brutal reality of there's an economic, there's an econ there's economics yeah. to this. And if you're not thinking in terms yeah. of five years from now, and if you're not thinking yeah. about these multiple revenue streams, you know, yeah. somewhere between year number one and year number five, is going to bite you in the butt. So let's, let's talk about it. Yes. Now. And and it, 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 you know, that unfortunately, I mean, I've lived in the city long. I've been, I've lived here for seven years now, and I've seen church plant after church plant come and go because they use the conventional funding model, and they they last, you know, one or two years if that, and then they bomb out. And I listen to my neighbors talk about it, and they're they they are the neighbors. They lose their level of respect for the church goes down a notch every time one of those churches comes in. So it's actually doing more harm than good to. Uh, approach this missional context uh, with with an approach that just doesn't isn't going to work in this missional context. It's hurting the cause of Christ, is what I'm saying. So stop doing that, and you know, st start start doing start uh, that, and that's what we exist for is to help people figure that out. And they're not alone. You know, it is, it, it has been kind of a lonely path, but now it's just I mean, there's an increasing number of people who are going. Okay, yeah, we can. We can learn this together. We can figure it out together. We celebrate, you know, little wins as we go along. And uh, we want people to be there for the long haul. Right. Um, so I'll tell you what, let's yeah. do this then. I mean, because if, if people are listening in, they're going like, okay, how do, how, how do I get a hold of Steve? Um, give us, give us kind of like, what's the best way to get a hold of you to learn more about Urban Island Projects, also your book. So let's, let's yeah. plug all three of those things so people can access those as easily as possible. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the easiest way is just to go to nextwave.community. That has, you can buy the book from there. You can join the community from there. Um, that's the best way if you want to, but I would love to interact. Um, 
I, I've got, we've got such a great friendship and partnership with Exponential. I actually spent the last, we, we did um, a, a set of, of um, I, I forget what you call them, but the shows that you do on the hub, yeah. we've got all, all 12 shifts. We did a, we did an episode on each of those shifts and interviewed somebody who's kind of specializing in that. Those are all in the hubs um, database, wherever. So somebody's a member of the hub, they can go there and learn about the 12 shifts. We've even got free downloads of the chapters that go with the shifts that are available through that. So they can go there. But then again, I, I just, I love my partnership. And so anybody who's listening to this, uh, I would love you to just reach out to me directly. And you can do that at Steve, S-T-E-V-E, at UIP.city, Urban Islands Project, but UIP.city. And that's my personal email address. And if you write me there, I, I will respond, maybe not right away, but I will, I will definitely get back to you and uh, uh, I can help you figure out maybe how we can, we can help you and serve you as you go and do what God's calling you to do. That's perfect. But, hey, Steve, thanks. Thank you very much. Um, thanks for, uh, I mean, your, your commitment over the years, obviously to Jesus and the church, but specifically to church planning and your willingness uh, to take a risk of being just a great example for the rest of us. So. Thanks. Um, my name is Dave Ferguson, and I'm with Steve Pike. And thanks for being with us on the Future Church Podcast.